so that I can hardly speak, and I seem to find the happiness I seek when we're out together dancing cheek to cheek. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Chosen by Committee, the podcast where myself, Josh Heron, Christopher Munden, and John Rosenberg read every Pulitzer Prize winning play since 1918, so you don't have to. Or perhaps, so you can join us along. Join along with us. My name is Josh Heron. I am a third grade teacher in the time of coronavirus, a uh, theater critic, uh, sometimes dog writer. <laughs> and I am joined by Philadelphia's favorite gadfly, Christopher Munden. Hello, Josh. <laughs> and Philadelphia's second or third favorite gadfly, John Rosenberg. Hello, friend. And today we are talking about the play, the 1935 Pulitzer Prize winning play, Old Maid by Zoe Akins, which is an adapted work based on an Edith Wharton novella, uh, I think called Old Maid, The Old Maid. Mm -hmm. And Chris, did you finish it? I did finish it, yeah. Wow. So we also have a special, um, we'll have some special insight from Chris probably later in the episode as he, as he read um, the source material. You're really digging deep. Mm -hmm. you know, I'm doing last, research. From West Wing to, <laughs> to House to Edith Wharton. So let's start talking about it. Um, I'll, I haven't given the summary in a while, so I'll give the summary. I'll do my best. So this play is given over five episodes or scenes that take place over a series of time. And it is about two, I think they're siblings. They they're, cousins. they're cousins. Cousins. That makes more sense. Um, Charlotte or Chatty and uh, Dahlia? Delia. 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 And um, the play opens on Delia's wedding day and she's very excited and and Charlotte comes in and has a gift from Clem who uh, Delia has turned down for uh, her beau um, and that's pretty much all we get for the first scene we fast forward and we see that Charlotte is running an orphanage and one of the, the charges of this sort of it's not really an orphanage even it's like a little daycare uh, one of the charges is Tina, who gets made fun of pretty aggressively by the other children because she uh, is being housed by an African-American family, although she is not African-American. And uh, Charlotte has a special connection with this Tina. Uh, we, fi we find out that Tina is actually the child of Charlotte and Clem, the... <laughs> the man that Delia spurned to marry her husband. Um, and because of this, Charlotte was going to marry John or Joe, and she turns that off. And then the really heartbreaking thing, we and she like sacrifices sort of this marriage. And this guy that I think she really loves because she wanted to take care of uh, her child who she gave up for adoption, but still like sort of watches over in this like, I don't know, vaguely creepy way, but um, probably sort of maternal. Um, we fast forward and her, so Tina, Charlotte, and 
Delia live together in Delia's house. And Charlotte really thinks of Delia as sort of the mother figure and thinks of Charlotte as sort of this old spinster. Old maid. Yeah, old na- old maid, old hag, old nag. Um, and uh, it ends with the night before um, Christina's wedding, um, Clementina's wedding night, uh, where Delia and Charlotte sort of figure out how to negotiate the roles of motherhood the night before uh, the night before the wedding. And maybe we'll talk more about the specific ending because it ends on sort of a lovely, a lovely note, but that's generally the premise. Given that it is from Edith Wharton, um, who I have not read, but I've, I've encountered some of her works. They're not not melodramatic, but I, I don't think I was quite expecting the level of like weepy sort of dated uh, melodrama that I encountered in this piece. Um, necessarily say that that's not indicative of Edith Wharton, I would not say. But my take on this was that it, it sort of felt more like the plays we had read a couple, like a month ago, a couple months ago. It felt like, a, it, felt like it would have been a really solid Pulitzer Prize winning play from the early 1920s. Um, and I feel like we had sort of gotten into the groove of like the more interesting societal critiques. Um, we talked about how the 30s was sort of like the, the decade of institutions if the 20s were the decade of family. Um, and this is another sort of like deeply familial play um, about marriage and guilt and premarital sex. And so I was surprised at that. Uh, what surprised you about the play, John? I, this play, I had a, an emotional connection with this play. Like, uh, I was into it, man. Like, it got me. I think for me, it's nothing I could put my finger on. Like, there were some passages that really were well-written, but it was just a, to me, it's a sordid mess that was compelling and carried me to the end. And um, yeah, man, I was, I, I was with it. I, was, I dug it, man. It was good. Yeah, I mean, but the, the dialogue, it, it was like overwrought over the top, I thought, in a lot of places. For some reason, and you know, I, and it's interesting because like, do either of you know anyone who, do, do you know anyone who doesn't realize who their real parent is? Yeah. Yeah, like I recently in in like the past few weeks, you know, like came to find out something like your son's very... yours. <laughs> like I, I dig what you're saying. It it the play is a sordid mess and it is melodramatic, but it's tight and it 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 takes one path and it follows that path. It 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 approached all the stuff at a remove for me. It was melodramatic, but it was very relatable and believable to me for some reason. Yeah, there's a humanity to it. I mean, I think um, I said, I forget which play I said this about someone had told me like um, so many, so many great works of art or so many pieces of fiction from 19th century, early 20th century would be solved. There would be no drama if a woman could just like marry who she wants and not face societal opprobrium for for premarital sex, for like dating, for 
for things that men of the time did. And this is another one where like Charlotte has to face all of these decisions to give up the child, to um, not get married, to not to let Delia adopt Tina, to not tell Tina that she's her mother and see Tina love her cousin more than she loves her. And she does it, and she does it with a stoicism and with a love that in the end is is tender. But I thought the play was not all that good. I think the dialogue is is over the top. Some of the ways in which I think because I read the story, but I felt this, I read the play first and I felt this, I felt like there was a story there that wasn't um, superbly brought out. And reading the novella, I'm like, okay, I see how you could bring that story out in a much better way. I mean, I also think the play is like sort of strangely con- like structured. Like, I don't really think we need that first. I think one fifth of the play is unneeded. I no, in the, in the novel, that's the flashback. And, and that doesn't happen. It's not a flashback even. It's referenced mm-hmm. as a memory. Like, I got married. You know, I think... And, yeah. I think that could have happened in a, like without even a flashback, I think that could have. No, it could have happened like in a novel, like as in talked about, remember right. when I got this gift from Clem. Yeah, that was pretty unnecessary. Nah, I mean, I, I disagree with both of you. Like, Well, I mean, I guess the thing that's nice about it is the three weddings, right? Is it, right, as a and you see like, guys. I mean, I guess you see a character really like grow and change. Um, well, you have, it starts with a wedding. There's another, like, major plot point in the middle of Charlotte's wedding that doesn't end up happening. And then it ends with a wedding. So that's a neat, a neat way of doing it. But I mean, anything yeah, that, like, I will, I think for the play is, I think, I don't know if it's the same in the book, but I think the character of, like, Delia really surprises me. Not that she ever does anything, like, so terrible she needs a redemption, but, like, I thought she was sort of set up as this, like, selfish sort of self-interested super character that we were written to hate and i think by just like she just grows and matures like i think people do like i don't think there's any moment that like is where she figures it out i think she just sort of like grows up and has a kid and i think she just like develops into a much more sympathetic character in the way that i think charlotte sort of like slowly becomes a a more embittered um less sympathetic character. I mean, I feel like there's, there's like a subtlety to this play that's really good. And I, I dig what you're saying. Like, it's not lyrical, it's not poetic, um, but it's good, man. Like, I don't know if it's just because I'm dealing with the fact that my wife's father fired her in the middle of a pandemic. Like, I appreciated that like, Charlotte doesn't make good decisions. You know what I mean? I understand, like, I understand there's, like, societal pressure and all that shit, and, like, but the play isn't focused on the social mores, in a way, to me. Like, we we more see the the effect of it, you know? But, like, she, I understand, she, like, comes up with a system, you know? She is, like, the woman who helped raise her when she was a child. She, like, leaves the child with that family. But, like... Yeah, she doesn't, 
and like Delia when she decides, oh, because uh, you can't marry her because she's like coughing blood or whatever. Like they're not very good decisions. <laughs> like they're, I like that they're not uh, premeditated, calculated decisions. They're very, it's very human to me in a way. Um, but but I, I do dig what you're both saying that it's not like, it doesn't have like a rhythm and style in the language that's very compelling or interesting. But what drives it is the relationship between the two cousins that I think is, is sorted and yeah, it's, it's compelling to me. Yeah, that jealousy. So the jealousy that Delia feels all the way through and the jealousy that they have for each other feels very real human. To go back on myself, maybe, and also think about a little bit about the gendered expectations for what a Pulitzer is. Like, I think uh, stories about women for women's audiences and certainly written by women at the time, I think are often critiqued for feeling sort of small and domestic and about interpersonal yeah. relationships. I think that like checks, this was like, yep, yep, yep. This is like a, a domestic story. This is about the confines of society. And I think they can leave one feeling, I think the Pulitzer, um, I think certainly where we were heading with what the Pulitzer was awarding, uh, Pulitzer plays are about something, like they're about a national issue or an institution or uh, like a big thematic question. And I don't know if this play leaves us with that. So maybe I'm, I'm calling myself out on my own expectations um, and my own internalized misogyny for- But uh, I mean, no, no, I, I dig what you're saying, but like, the interesting thing to me is both of you like the ending, right? Oh yeah. yeah let's, can we talk? Let's talk about the ending. Does someone else want to describe it? Tina, well, Tina is being courted by this guy, who uh, Charlotte knows that he won't marry her because of she's a foundling. She doesn't have parents, and so and she thinks, perhaps rightly, that Tina's gonna like follow her path and and get knocked up. And so Delia adopts Tina. And so the guy can marry Tina. And it's a night before the wedding. And Delia's going to go up and give the mother daughter speech about like, what to expect how to be a good wife. I don't know exactly what I never got that speech. And Charlotte's like, No, I'm her mother. Tonight, I want to go talk to her. And it's good, yeah, man. It like, yeah, yeah. And man. she goes up to the door, I guess, off stage, and she's like, I, "I have nothing to say. I don't know what to say." So she had so Delia instead talks to her, and in that speech, she ends with like, you know, one more thing. Tomorrow, when at the end of the wedding, when you're going through to the carriage. Lean down and give your last kiss to Cousin Charlotte. Don't forget the very last. And it's, yeah, having said and having thought reading the play that it is, uh, it is melodramatic. It is like overwrought the language. You might expect the play to be like Charlotte dies or <laughs> when it's yeah. off at the last, like something like, all right, she Crazy. goes and tells and then, her, I'm your actual mother, and then the and daughter jumps fit, out the and, window. Yeah. Right. And this is such like a beautiful 
quiet ending. I would love to watch that curtain drop after that. I could imagine like watering up a little at, at the ending of The Old Maid. I mean, like, I hate this play, I hate this play, and then... But I'm telling you, that, like, like oh. that takes talent to set it up and make you think it's going one way, and then it just, like, that's good, man. That's just... Right, because I thought she would... I thought Charlie was going to go upstairs and be like, I'm your mom and all this stuff. And like, like it doesn't show the speech from Delia to the daughter about what it is to be a good wife or, you know what no. I mean? It's not, it's not that play. It's like, there's no. so much that happens off stage uh, done well. Oh, I, I do think I, so the thing I have to mention and, and we haven't talked about it yet. Um, but I do Beginning think of episode two. Yeah, I actually think it's, I think it's more interesting than I initially even thought. Uh, but at the beginning of episode two, and, and throughout the, maybe episode two and three, um, as I mentioned, Tina lives with an African-American family and is teased. So you have these little kids using the N-word to talk about uh, who she lives with. But then you also have these older people of society talking about her living situation in a way that, um, and how unfortunate it is, not because of anything terrible else. Terrible it is, no. Because of, like, very explicitly, like, racist. And my first reaction was like, ugh, like, just the use of the word, and then it goes sort of, like, unrem- it, like, like, it, it sort of goes unremarked upon, sort of to the way that we would today, um, and then that, like, these other, like, so it's not just kids, but these other characters feel this way, so my first, I mean, my, my first and my still reaction is a discomfort with it, but I've been thinking about whether or not that probably is what these characters were. Like these characters were upper class, New York, white, racist, classist, xenophobic, awful people. And uh, I don't think it's presented as like, these are, this is the horrible way people thought a century ago. And now we're more enlightened. Like that thought seems to be acceptable in the 1930s too, right? Yeah, it's interesting. I don't, and I don't know because I've been thinking about like, can you present, like, how do we present that, right? Like, can you present a? Is that an honest portrayal? Because it is. It felt in some ways it felt very honest, yeah, right? I'm, I'm the sure banality of racism would have been very present and would not have been like, and I don't think Charlotte is not like the upstander to have been like, mom, dad, don't say that. That's not nice. But it was very it's interesting. Yeah. I was going to say, it's interesting in the book that isn't there really. I mean, she, Tina is, weird. Tina is brought up by the African American couple. Um, and there is like, there is a mention of that would be difficult for the child. But the reason Charlotte wants to get married is so that she can have money to provide for Tina because she originally left Tina with $100 pinned to the label um, so the family could take care of her. And that money has run out and the family is maybe going to have to send her to an asylum because they can't afford her anymore. Not because, like it's such a terrible fate to be stuck with African-American people, but because they 
can no longer bring her up well. So it's a really interesting choice by the playwright to be like, oh, imagine how terrible that would be and have that be the, the source of drama. Um, yeah, unnecessary and, and, and weird. But the difference to me is it doesn't become a focal point of the play. Like... It doesn't, no. What the play doesn't show is us watching Charlotte make this decision to leave the baby with the family. We don't no, witness no. the pressure of the family then accepting the baby. It's a very strange... It's just like a punch to the face that is just moved on from. And I think the fascinating thing to me is like, there's a number of just life decisions that are made that aren't well thought out or explained. Like Charlotte doesn't have a speech where she explains why she did it or the feeling when she did, do you know what I mean? Like the playwright doesn't protect any of them. No, no. Um, it's, I, I mean, maybe I shouldn't have read the book because I do keep comparing, but like Delia's decision to, uh, to break up the marriage makes more sense in the book. Charlotte is actually sick. She does start coughing blood. Uh, yeah, see, I, I like this yeah. because it makes no fucking sense. So is, and, is it like, is it, so is it, but... <laughs> it's more dramatic maybe in the play, which the, it, the melodrama, I don't know. Um, I'm saying my family is moving to LA next month because my wife's father fired her. Like, <laughs> I dig what you're saying, but this fucking shit happens to people. Like, <laughs> I mean, sure, yeah. It's all still... So still bad. Um, I don't know. Uh, one thing I do, you know, I do appreciate uh, what you were saying, Josh, about it, like representing the time. And I feel like, um, I don't know how to say this, like almost like playwrights today aren't, um, don't do that. Like they they don't document how racist society is now, right? If they do, it's that's what the play is about. That's what the character is about. You know what I mean? They don't like give us an insight. Someone reading a play, like a, nor a regular play a hundred years from now said in the 2020s, Unless that's an issue in the play, they won't have an. They maybe won't have an appreciation of like, but wow, I, they were real racist time. I mean, I think about that as like consideration of the audience, right? In that, like, yeah, but I mean, you think about like The Sopranos, The Wild, like I think other movies too, like Tarantino movies, and he's not afraid to show like racist characters and that the times are racist and like and have like a character like, like Tony Soprano be sympathetic in a way, but still like horrible. Like in plays, don't do that. And maybe it is. I don't understand why this play is set in the 19th century. That was something I thought about when I was reading it. I was like, yeah. why does it have to have a time? Because there's I mean, nothing, I, mean, I didn't feel but, anything attached to it though. Like I no one was uh, like, I think the pressure of that the norms 
by the thirties are eroding in a way where it becomes like, these are very Victorian concerns around propriety. Uh, right. And, uh, so maybe that society is no longer a thing. Like the society of New York, where there are like uh, 20 families or, you know, a small group of families who like, they rule the city at a certain... You're telling me it's not like that now? I, it's funny to me. I felt like this play could fit in any time period. You could change, like, the reasons behind, like, yeah, change the, the coughing blood to something else. But, like, to me, it was, it was a play that had, the, the time was irrelevant to me. Yeah. There's not a lot that uh, paints that. I think there is a feeling, at least Edith Wharton has a feeling in her... It, like looking back on that New York society that something is being lost or that mm. like that is a world that is no longer there. And her writing is, I was looking for this in the play because she was a, um, she wrote about interior decorating and maybe fashion before she was a novelist. And so her writing is just imbued with all of these gorgeous descriptions of furnishings of rooms of what people are wearing um, that do give a sense of place and, and time to it that you don't really get that even in the description, even in like the stage descriptions, do you? I mentioned this last week, um, but it's on Criterion Collection until July 31st. Uh, Martin Scorsese shockingly has a, I don't love Scorsese and I think this is like a sort of a weird Scorsese movie, but uh, has a really beautiful adaptation, I think, of an either Wharton novel called Age of Innocence that captures that sense. That's a great novel. Um, the film does such a good job of capturing the interiority and the decorations and the, and it has a lot of, I think, of her sort of uh, narrative imbued through it. Mm. Um, with Lewis and Michelle Pfeiffer. Hmm. It's great. In like eighties, uh, I think early nineties. Who would uh, who would you be if you were in this? I feel like Chris is Clem for sure. <laughs> Double cast is Clem, and then the other boy that tries to <laughs> take advantage of Tina. Uh, 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 I disagree with that characterization. Who are um, you? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I like Delia. Okay. Yeah. I like the aunt, Aunt Carrie. Oh, the one breezing in from Paris. She's a great yeah. character. She isn't really in the novel, and I think that's a, a one of the few like positive improvements that yeah, the play she's makes. Real she funny. is a great character. Yeah. What about you, John? Uh, I wish I could be the ending of that play. Um, the curtain. I think <laughs> you it, could be. Like, uh, you could be the husband. I think you've said before that you wanted to be the ending of a play, but I think you meant the opposite. Like you're like, I want to be the ending right. of that play. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, maybe um, you could be her. What are predictions? I said that the old maid was going to be young. Which is true and not true. That's all I remember. Oh, I said she uh, would be old. You said she would be old, <laughs> and um, John said there was gonna be a game of cards. Yeah, it just says card game. I is there? 
No. There's no gamut clips. Uh, I don't really think this is a play that, like, has, I guess, like, this is not a play that I think has a real, like, directorial vision that would, like, help or not help us. It feels like it's... Yeah, I didn't, I didn't feel like it, there was, like, something that you could pull out of it differently than what it is. I would hate to see that ending done badly. <laughs> right. That'd be, that'd be rough to watch. Maybe I would, I would, I guess it's almost old enough where I could just cut the first episode and intercept. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you could, you don't necessarily need that. You could make some changes. You would maybe have to cut some of the opening of the second scene. Oh, and mm-hmm. what you could do is you could also play with the casting of young Charlotte and listen to me, Tina, young Charlotte and Tina and Clem and that other guy. Like you could, I mean, that's a little like, on the is desk. Clem even in it? Oh no, he's not. You're right. Oh my. No, he's mentioned, he, but he's, yeah. Um, next week we are reading, uh, I'm so excited because uh, Chris, John and I have these leather bound you can't see them, but I'm just going to hold it and describe it. Gold leaf enshrined books for upcoming plays uh, by Robert E. Sherwood. And the first one is called Idiot's Delight. <laughs> uh, I did a little digging. I'm actually really excited about it. So I feel like I can't make a prediction. I could make like a kooky prediction. Well, give us, give us a brief a taste. So it's set yeah. in Europe. So it's written in 36, so it's before World War II happens. And it's set in Europe at the outbreak of a war. Oh. I think it's, like, very much about World War II, like, pre About the coming war, right? Yeah. But it presupposes the war is about to begin. And it's, like, I think uh, four or five different people, international people, in a hotel, sort of, like, in lockdown as the war begins. Wow, that sounds fantastic. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. Um, I think that, oh, I think that war is the idiot's delight. I think I'm Hitler wins. You. What? I think Hitler wins. Ooh. Do you think no, Hitler should be named? I think Hitler will be named. I think, um, I think someone in it is uh, pro-German. Or pro, if if Hitler isn't named, there'll be a character that's clearly him. And if Germany isn't the opposition, then there'll be a country that's clearly Germany. And at least one character will be sympathetic to them. That's my prediction. All right. Uh, well, until next week, we will be talking about Robert E. Sherwood's Idiot's Delight. Until then, let's say goodnight, folks. Goodnight, folks. Night, folks. I'm in heaven, and the cares that hung around me through the week seem to vanish like a gambler's lucky streak. When we're out together, dancing cheek to cheek.